What's up, dear listeners? Welcome to another episode of the Searchers Podcast. Our mission is to look for films that should be exposed more often to modern audiences. We cover new, we cover old, everything in between. A little bit of popular, a little bit of cult, but at the end of the day, it's really just what we want to cover and hopefully you'll like. I am your host, Benjamin, from Baltimore, Maryland, and joining me from New England, United States of America is my co-host, none other than Chris, but maybe more well-known as Ziggy F. Baby, but yes, uh, yes. at least to me, but a uh, little inspiration to this episode's title. Say hello, Zig. Hello, Steve McQueen, me baby. I will. I'll, I'll Steve McQueen all over you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's why I'm here tonight. So hello, everybody. Uh, yeah, we don't have Kevin this week, unfortunately. He's overseas visiting the papal states getting an experience of a lifetime so uh benjamin and i we're gonna we're gonna buckle up and uh, we have a special episode for you beautiful people out there especially you petrol heads anybody who's a fan of steve mcqueen you devotees we are reviewing two movies today that focus focuses on the man the first is a documentary focusing on the production of the second film. First one's called Steve McQueen, The Man and Le Mans, which was a documentary released in 2015. And that's a rather clever title, wouldn't you say, Ben? I would indeed. Yes, yes. Yeah, obviously the, the second movie is the subject of the first and the movie is Le Mans, which was released in 1971. And as some listeners may know, as you know, Ben, it was a passion project for Mr. Steve McQueen. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, but before we get into that, I guess I'll, uh, have you been to an actual car race? Ooh, Ooh, how'd I not see that one coming? This was a uh, topical. Let's see. I have been to car races and anybody who hasn't been to little old Connecticut, there is a famous racetrack in our state called Lime Rock. And I have been to this racetrack at least twice. Could be, could be a few more times than that. And really that's the extent of it. I'm not a car guy. I know how to like fix a tire and stuff, do all the basics, but yeah. Yeah, not I, a mechanic. Yeah, I was taught uh, by my father that from a car gets you from point A to point B, and that's about it. So we never had fancy cars growing up. Uh, he, <laughs> I don't think I've ever, besides one brand new car, which was a Toyota Corolla, he's never owned a brand new car besides that. They've all been used. So not same, really same. Yeah, not really into the the car culture. So anybody out there that is in fact a petrol head will probably. Not like the not like that, but whatever is what it is. In 2017, I went to a NASCAR race um, down in, in North Carolina. Uh, I forget. I'm I'm oh Charlotte Motor Speedway, and it was uh, for the Monster Energy Championship or Monster Championship. I think uh, basically it's like a very short sprint race. I think it's I think it was either 50 laps or 50 miles. Again. Uh, it was an experience just being around all those people. I mean, NASCAR is a whole different culture than uh, the focus of the film tonight is uh, Le Mans, which is in in France. And I mean, I think they're just two different cultures. But yeah, so minimal experience, but experience nonetheless. 
That's cool. That's cool. I've never been to a NASCAR race. Yeah, I have down here in Maryland. We have uh, Dover is fairly close. I mean, you have to drive probably an hour to Dover, Delaware. That's kind of close, but everyone that's a NASCAR fan I know kind of complains about that race only because like there's not really any quote unquote straightaways. So there's no like max speed of the uh, NASCAR car, NASCAR race car, automobiles, whatever. I, uh, to me, like again, if you if they wouldn't have told me that and I would have gone to the race, I would have never known. So it's what the folks want. They just want speed, speed, baby, speed, like the 1994 movie with. Sandy Bullock and Keanu. Keanu. Yes. So very good. Very good. I also, I've done a little go-karting in my life (laughs) and I've never, no, never gone go-karting really. I don't know if at this point in my life, uh, with how tall I am, I don't think I'm getting in one, fitting in one. (laughs) So is what it Uh, is. Okay. Now it's a little, all right. I'm disappointed for you. Although I don't know if I'd ever, recommend it i don't know it was it was fun i had good memories with it and the other bit of experience is i am a pro at mario kart uh i am too so we'll have to test that out after this episode (laughs) uh you bring the beer and then yeah we're good oh let's do some drunk driving drunk driving (laughs) we have a little thing at the the beach when we take down we'll we'll take down like with my friends uh we'll take down uh mario kart double dash from the the GameCube version. And uh, basically the game is you have to finish a beer each lap and you can't go across. No, no, not each lap, each race. Each lap would be a a little excessive. (laughs) You'd be done in about 10 minutes, but there's, there's different versions to the game. Yes. Different variants, depending on how uh, wrecked you want to get for uh, lack of a better racing term. Ooh, punny. Yes, of course. So Ben, why did you, pick these movies this these were your picks this week yeah why are we reviewing them so i originally well funny enough uh it's a little spoiler for the end of the episode but i picked based upon your favorite which i'm going to keep this going your your favorite uh, service to be and uh this this very docu- nice steve mcqueen the man in lamon was was just watched told me that it was on Tubi, and so I'm spoiling our little bit at the end where we tell the listeners where to get this. I was like, oh, cool. Chris Chris and I will be able to watch that. All good. Like I've seen the movie before, but would really like to know, you know, just a little bit interested in Steve McQueen. Um, but then it wasn't on Tubi, so you and I had to go through a, a little bit more effort to get it. But the reason I picked it was because I've seen the film, but also kind of just, I think I'm starting to realize I have a, some kind of a, there's some kind of affinity for the movie star uh persona the personality and the icon the the attitude uh dedication to their craft so like think of a few that come to mind would be like you know John Wayne Jackie Chan Tom Cruise Clint Eastwood Mel Gibson uh Stallone and like another one that I had to mention because of uh the French aspect of this film is uh John Paul Bamondo who did a lot of his own stunts and made sure the audience knew it was him. I'm unaware of that last one. You don't know who Jean-Paul Belmondo is? What? No, I don't think so. No, you do. If you look him up, you've you've seen uh, one or two probably of of his movies where he was in the French New Wave of the early 60s. I, I guarantee it you've seen at least one movie with him in it. If you didn't, 
basically you failed as a, as a cinephile, sir. No, I'm kidding. Take my card. I won't. But yeah, so like any other given Sunday when I'm picking out movies to watch based upon I mean, at this point in my life i've seen so much I, I kind of am focusing down on who's involved in the in the production so yeah that's kind of why i picked it and then since i'm such a uh sadist and masochist for myself i was like hey chris let's do this and the the actual movie let's cover both man because we don't have enough other shit going on in our life right we are definitely not busy Yes. <laughs> I, I think it was, we'll, we'll get to your, I, I will ask you if you liked watching the, the, the order, how you watched it. Cause I will, we'll talk about it in a minute, but basically the background for this movie is, uh, Steve McQueen was a very famous actor. Obviously a lot of people know his name in the sixties. He was huge movie star status basically was like a God in Hollywood he was the number one build star and he's, he's kind of an interesting cat in that time frame. He was actually into like racing motorcycles and race cars and just like that type of, you know, just, I guess, like I said earlier, he's a petrol head. He just loved anything with an engine. Uh, actually people did say that in the documentary, which I knew that before watching the documentary. Um, it might funny, funny little, uh, aside, my dad actually raced cars in North Carolina in the, early eighties drag races. Uh, not, not, ah, uh, uh, wow. It'd be, could be cool. I don't think I, I we'll see depending on when this episode released, maybe I'll get a little two minute interview with him at the end or something about his time, but that'd be interesting. He does have, I think one trophy from winning a uh, drag race. So that's really cool. I don't know anybody who has done that. Uh, I'm not, a, 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 again, as explained earlier, I am not an expert on any type of car racing, but from my understanding, there are different, like, like anything, there are different type of heats, quote unquote, for drag racing. So I think you can drag race about any kind of car. If you like the different, it, it's probably, it's probably out by like either engine torque or, or horsepower or whatever, like you can race other people. So, and it, it probably has to be a stick shift. That's probably like the requirement. I don't know, but that's just the eighties. The racing industry looks at least back in the day, looked a little bit like there weren't many uh, policies and regulations. So a lot of things, quote unquote, flew that <laughs> don't now. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit of background for another little piece of why I picked this movie. But so my dad said, yeah, like, you know, Steve McQueen, he, he was a race car driver. Like he knew that. And I'm like, you don't even like Steve McQueen that much. So that's kind of interesting. In that, in that time frame, McQueen got really big, hits with uh back-to-back hits with a lot of well uh, yeah several directors but a, a big one was john sturgis and that was uh the two movies that come to mind would be magnificent seven which is the classic and en- ensemble uh western and then the great escape which is the world war ii famous world war ii movie again a, movie. another ensemble but i believe in the great escape yeah mcqueen was the starring lead so he made two huge mm-hmm. hits he's he's Mm-hmm. He's he's on cloud nine. He's making money out the wazoo. Uh, John Sturgis is getting big at the time, and basically, more or less, <laughs> McQueen probably went to him. It, it's some t- you know sort of. I'm not sure if this was at a you know dinner or it was official meeting or what. But the background is McQueen wanted to make a, a racing movie because he loved it, and Sturgis pursued it for him. I guess because he's like, hey, this guy's a uh, kind of, if I had this guy in my movie, it's going to be a hit. So why not? The background is, which I know because you are a Frankenheimer 
film buff and you have project you have project frankenheimer going on that this is kind of interesting that this we, that i happened to pick this movie or two movies documentary and movie is because mcqueen was supposed to make a formula one auto racing movie in the mid 60s obviously this movie was released in 1971 so what the hell happened the long story short is mcqueen and sturgis went up against another director and another studio uh main that being mgm and john frankenheimer with their grand prix movie and warner brothers and the other two uh sturgis and mcqueen were going for a movie called day of the champion which was going to be another formula one movie i believe Day of the Champion never happened because Steve McQueen's Sand Pebbles, the movie that he won as well, was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, the, the the production on that is infamous on how troubled it was. McQueen got really sick during it, so basically it took several months longer than it should have, and it was in Taiwan. I haven't seen that. And I was talking, like I said, I was talking to my dad about this and he's like, oh, Sand Pebbles, that was good. So I think we know the next movie I'm going to be watching uh, with McQueen in it. So. Yeah, so all that combined with McQueen being a race car driver and actually racing in events in a famous event that race car fanatics would know about um, called Sebring. It's a endurance race, which means you have a car and a team of pit crew and maybe multiple drivers racing the same car for many hours, which is the equivalent of a lot of miles. And it's it's an endurance race on the, the crew, the driver, and the car itself. And so McQueen came in second in Sebring in 1970, which was, he came in second to Mario Andretti. I think people know that name. I don't know how, but maybe they do. A little famous. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the uh, long story short, which was a little longer than I wanted it to be, but oh well. I love the passion. Love the passion. It's great. So that's that's why you picked it. Yeah. I mean, I picked the the documentary and then the Le Mans just Le Mans just came as a secondary basically a plus because I I I think I I I watched this movie like I want to say I did watch this movie 2 years ago and was not a super fan of it. With the context The documentary or the or are you talking about Le Mans? Le Mans. Yeah, it was probably my fifth or sixth McQueen movie. And I would not recommend this as a early McQueen choice. I would watch all his stuff in probably chronological order. So get to this when you've already seen five to 10 other McQueen movies, the mainly the two that we already mentioned, but uh, any of the ones from the sixties before this, I mean, this is a, this is not what you think it is, but yeah, to, to get into a little bit of the details, Sturgis was supposed to direct this movie, but if you notice online or on Letterboxd or wherever you get your information from movies, basically he was on the movie for probably a quarter of the production and he left. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's explained in the documentary fairly well, but Steve kind of took over the production. His his production company, since he was a movie star and at, at the time had a lot of weight in Hollywood, he had his own production company, Solar Productions, and that let him kind of slide into the producer role. So he was the producer on this film originally, alongside other Cinema Center Films producer, uh, Bob Rosen, who Cinema Center, C Cinema Center is the, I believe it was a CBS 
it was the CBS wing of movie making for a few years. And I think it closed down or merged with something else, but regardless, it was a big, okay. it was a big production at the time and it had a lot of money behind it. And Steve and Sturgis kind of sold it like day of the champion or grand prix. Um, they sold it as, Oh, this is going to be a, you know, a Hollywood movie drama. There's the guy's going to be a comeback hero, whatever. So, I, I, we don't need to go through the cast. McQueen is the star in this movie. There's a bunch of other European actors that they pulled in for the production. Um, they filmed the movie actually at the racetrack of Le Mans during the race. And afterwards they, they filmed a lot of the subsequent photography uh, after the race, but they got a lot of the multiple car shots during the actual race, which would never happen today. Like that's, you don't un- think so? No. I mean, unless you can correct me and say that it has happened, I'd be interested. I do not know of such things. Uh, so, yeah, before we get more into this, other racing movies besides like the the recent Ford versus Ferrari, which has a Le Mans bit. It has. I've seen it. It's been a while. It's been two or three years since I've seen it. it I thought it was a good movie. I, I don't. I can't compare it though to the the racing scenes to this movie because. I just don't remember well, but have you seen Ford versus Ferrari? I have not. I recommend it. I have seen Seabiscuit. That's a racing movie, <laughs> right? Yes. Oh, oh, sorry. Wrong, wrong type of racing. <laughs> Chariots of Fire. No. Sorry, that's that's not it. <laughs> okay, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. Maybe the Flintstones. Yeah, there you go. Yes, a little yabba dabba do. <laughs> I have seen. And love Grand Prix, which you already mentioned, because I am a Frankenheimer freak. Yes, I've not um, seen that. Excellent. And it's pretty cool that we we're introing your introduction to Grand Prix with the little knowledge that it has with I, I a think little. That, I, was, I was just going to say, I think the context really, these are the kind of pictures we like painted, right? We, we like to know the yes. behind the scenes. Yes. And knowing the behind the scenes gives us a little bit more context and sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't for this. It's, it's probably necessary going back to racing movies. Grand Prix is my favorite for sure. And you know what? Another good one is rush. I liked Ron Howard's rush. I've seen that in the, I saw it in theaters the opening month. I believe I saw it in theaters too. I need to revisit that. Cause I remember liking it quite a bit. I Ron Howard is someone I've written a few reviews on some of his movies on Letterboxd, and he's sort of in my mind of the Steven Spielberg ilk, where you have like a very polished storyteller that yearly, annually turns out Oscar bait, if you will, quote unquote Oscar bait. Cinderella Man is one of the best movies of all time. He's throwing down, throwing down. And I've heard, this isn't a boxing episode, but I have heard that from actual boxers that the photography of the, the, the scenes of the boxing in that movie are the most realistic ever produced. I did not know that. Now. And it's been some time I'm since I've a, seen Cinderella Men. I'm not a boxer. <laughs> I'm not a rapper. <laughs> uh, but I would, I would definitely say that Ron Howard surprised me when I had gone to see Rush. I didn't have high expectations. And he and Chris Hemsworth, who's the star of that movie, 
surprise me because at the time too, Chris Hemsworth was just getting on to the Marvel scene, really, maybe a year or two into it. He was Miley Cyrus's boyfriend's brother at the time. It, yes, also that. So he's only reputation, got he, he's gotten better. Yes, and so at, my point is at, at the time his reputation preceded him in a negative way, and. So the movie surprised me in that way because he gave a really great. It could be the performance of his career, maybe to date. I don't know. Am I throwing? Are you him? are you really making me watch another freaking racing movie this week? I don't think I have to pull your leg to be honest with you. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did watch the documentary twice, and I watched another documentary on Day of the Champion. Brag. Go ahead, brag. brag uh, some more. Don't worry, Chris. Don't worry. Quiet flexing. Quiet flexing, people. Well, it's. What is it? Thursday? It's the day before St. Patty's Day. Our St. Patty's Day episode just dropped and I have not watched another I have not watched another type of movie since before last Saturday. Woo! I am an expert. Uh, I'm an expert now. I love to see it. I love to see it. But uh yeah, let's uh before we get into any more of our opinions or production stuff, let's uh tell the tell the listeners what is Lamont about? Getting right down and dirty. I, I wrote a synopsis for this that you can read, and literally there is no synopsis about this movie anywhere. I was just going to say that if I was to summarize the plot without looking at any some anything that was previously written, I would say a lot of a lot of staring, pretty pictures, cars, and jazz. Period. Jazz. That would be that would be the summary. Jazz hands. Jazz hands. We're doing jazz hands, even though the listeners can't see. You like jazz, Evan? Yeah. Let me play something for you. I can hold that note all day, buddy. Oh. So you're not right. you're not gonna read my synopsis? <laughs> no, I am. I am. I'll, I'm gonna read it. I'll read it. I'll read it. All right. All right. Michael Delaney, who is Steve McQueen's character is the number one driver for the Porsche racing team fighting to win the 1970 24 hours of Le Mans endurance sports car race. During the race the year before, Delaney indirectly caused the death of another driver, a memory he cannot get out of his head. Will Michael Delaney overcome his past to beat Team Ferrari at Le Mans? I think that's the best synopsis ever written for this movie. <laughs> Let's uh, call Criterion so that way they can get this on the next... Uh, I am putting that in the movie database and it will be updated on Letterboxd by the time this episode drops. Oh, yeah. Slip it in with a little soundbite of my recording because I think I read that pretty good. Okay. I, I will I will put all that and then dash read by Ziglet underscore mie. Perfect. And you got to pro pronounce that in French. Mie. Mie. Le Mans. <laughs> Ziglet. Le Mans. All right. So, so we're having fun, guys. We're having fun. Chris, two tons of fun. I don't know your opinion about Grand Prix other than yes. you have it at a 10 out of 10, which is a high rating. So give us a little bit of context to your rating and give us a little comparison here because it's kind of it's almost poetic that you really like that movie and now you have to watch this and there was the little backstory. So please enlighten us, enlighten me and the listeners we're searching. John Frankenheimer, as I mentioned, I believe it was a cinema crusades episode, cinema crusades two, 
John Frankenheimer came up because I am in the middle of a quest of watching his whole filmography. In a nutshell, John Frankenheimer likes to study the process that's usually undergone by men. It's a, it's a masculine process that he focuses on and it, it intermingles the masculinity with the activity. So in this case for Grand Prix, the activity would be race car driving and John Frankenheimer was known more and still is for his political thrillers. So like the Manchurian candidate seconds, the train little bit different, although maybe you could argue some of those films also touch upon some sort of process uh, that the characters undergo. I like Grand Prix because it mixes John Frankenheimer's best qualities with a story that people argue lacks, just like Le Mans. People argue that the story to Grand Prix is also lacking. Um, I sort of disagree to a point because... The story is very melodramatic and melodrama works for me personally when it hits, when it just hits right, you know? So I like the melodrama to Grand Prix. It's got that intermingled with some really stunning races. I could compare the two right now, but I think I'll do that a little bit later. Unless if you want me to compare Grand Prix and Le Mans right now. Um, what does it, does it make sense I, to do it now or do you think you should wait until the end i'll i'll wait i'll wait i don't want to get too ahead of myself basically hold, they hold your horses they, <laughs> hold my horses sea biscuit so grand prix has some really great racing it's actually it's almost a three-hour movie and the racing in that movie i believe clocks in at least at least upwards to an hour so there's so and it's a it's an international cast of characters too. So you have um, you have Robert Gardner, you have Toshiro Mifune, you have Ives Montan, you have Eva Marie Saint. It's an ensemble movie. It's an ensemble movie, and it's a joy to see all those actors too. I think that, an- I that think answers your question. Mifune by himself is a reason to watch that movie. No brainer. Yeah, he's he's more of a side character, but he definitely. If you like him, it's definitely a reason to watch the movie. Yeah, I will. I will be watching that at some point in the near future, but not this. It, ne- it is, and, and to be clear, it, Grand Prix has a lot of similarities to Lehman, but it is also very different in how it handles its story, its characters. Probably the two biggest things right there. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, where do you want to go here? Because I. I want to go through all of your thoughts first on this one because I have already the documentary seen, or the movie both. I have already seen Le Mans and I have an when we rate, I'll have an interesting perspective and I have a, a bunch of things about the movie and a little bit. I mean, I don't want to. The documentary is basically bef- all right. My one question before you go into what you thought of the movie, the actual movie, not the documentary, is did mm-hmm. you th- did you think watching the documentary before watching the movie was a positive or negative to your experience? I'm going to throw a curveball here. I believe I was completely indifferent. So I can't prove that now, but I feel as though watching it is the same for would have been the same for me as if I had not watched the documentary. 
previous you, to Le Mans. You gotta be shitting me. You are the only person in the world that would ever say that. Just had to do it. I absolutely had to. That was a curveball. I think it was a curveball, and I, I, I guess I'm going to say a few things about the documentary right now. Sure. There are points that it makes that I appreciate, such as how much footage was shot. Which that's like one of the first lines that pops up when you watch the documentary. Second line. Second line. It was the second line. And what does that second line say, Benjamin? No, it's like a million. You you say it. They shot like a million feet. It was of footage of of film or more than that film stock. A film so film stock. That's the rumor. Yes. That's the rumor. The the documentary. The documentarian who produced it. I actually listened to an interview with with him about it, and he cannot confirm that because they found boxes under some studios. You know, storage. Uh, basically basement kind of uh and he did not say yes it was a million feet of footage but i think it was like i want to say 10 to 15 boxes of film which is a lot i mean it doesn't sound like a lot it doesn't sound like a million though that sounds like a couple hundred thousand sounds like they were saying that for dramatic effect which is totally understandable well it could it could be a rumor that people actually did say back in the 70s to talk shit about the movie i don't know like oh it was Could've so been. it was so bad they had to film so much about it dude I don't know like a groovy nasty man. game groovy <laughs> like a nasty game of telephone where you say something to somebody and then it just gradually gets out of control well there's plenty of that so, with Hollywood maybe they said that oh there was a hundred feet of footage and then it just drastically increased to well, a million over the years I do, I am not <laughs> all the cinematographer nerds are like so pissed at us right now because there's the standard length is a thing and i forget what it is but i would be think hey actually this is a perfect time send your mailbag in and tell us how wrong we are i'm putting it on you i'm putting it on you listener let's do it put it on the people now do you think side question do you think cinematographers when they're talking at the water cooler at work do you think they say to one another like they compare footage sizes like hey i shot a shot i think 500 it, yards I, today i think they well not anymore they all it's all digital mostly digital now but back in the day i bet you they did but it's the inverse of the penis uh thing it's like oh man measuring I, I shot one reel today and it was perfect it's like well i shot six. Oh, oh man let the let's, I, let, let the listeners hear laugh chris damn it i i <laughs> want a mailbag about this Please tell us how long it Somebody. is. Please tell us. Tell us how many shots were shot. I can tell you how long the racetrack was. One lap of go. Le Mans was eight miles. That's a lot that, of mileage in 24 hours, baby. That's crazy. Because that thing's they're going over 200 miles an hour, which is cool. Uh, all okay, right. So, all right. well, I'm going to answer my own question and say it was better watching the, the documentary first. And I want I'm giving you homework. You need to you need to watch the Lost movie, Steve McQueen, the Lost movie, or I think it's yes, yeah, Steve McQueen, the Lost movie is the documentary produced by ITV, which I think is a wing of BBC. So it's a British production, and you know how the Europeans are crazy about their Formula One shit. So it is an excellent documentary. It gives a lot of context to Grand Prix, to Day of the Champion, to this movie. 
combine those two documentaries together and it's like the best yin and yang. I do want to add an addendum to why it was I was indifferent, only only that I feel as though I knew everything that the documentary told me about McQueen minus, you know, a few, a few more introspective moments, like such as when they go into that accident, um, you know, not really a spoiler, David, but David when, they Piper. In, when they go into the David Piper, but also the one that McQueen got in with the blonde actress and the other guy. The context for that is interesting. And it's a very interesting, almost character study of a real human being, which, again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a rapper, but because I know what will happen. I'm gonna make it in the rap game. That will happen. That's a fact. I think there was a lot of shit going on, but more or less, he was in a car crash off the set behind the scenes, probably intoxicated to some level. He was a most of his adult life. He was a heavy drinker. I'd probably say wouldn't be surprised if he got drunk his first time at 12 years old. The dude had a hard upbringing. I think those moments the documentary was good for. Those were things that I did not know or did not know in depth. So the documentary served its purpose there. And I think the documentary, they got the documentary uh, producer slash director, I think, directors actually, Gabriel Clark and John McKenna. I believe Gabriel Clark was the one I think I heard the interview from. They said the first step to this documentary was to get the buy-in from Chad McQueen, who's Steve McQueen's son, who was actually at the production, lived in France during the uh, four to five to six to seven, however many months they were there. He had to, they had to get their buy-in first. And so from the outside looking in to our listeners, probably, when you have the buy-in from the family, usually people think, oh, well, the documentary can't be too critical. I think it was fairly balanced. I will tell the listeners. I think it was a fairly balanced documentary. It did not frame Steve McQueen in a, in a great light. I mean, it tried to explain some of why he did what he did, but it told about how he was cheating on his wife every day, how he was a paranoid freak because, well, the context there is he thought Charles Manson's people were going to all kill him because they all just killed his friend Jay Sebring. So there's a lot of context that needs to be explained and I think the documentary does that. It's just, if you're not like, when you go into the movie or the documentary, not the movie, if you go into the documentary, not a Steve McQueen fan, I don't think the documentary is going to win you over and make you a Steve McQueen fan. So I, I consider myself more of a fan than not a fan. Okay. And that's, that's probably using maybe even too strong of a word. I think that McQueen, McQueen, the guy is interesting but for whatever reason, the documentary, when it kept coming back to him, I mean, the, movie, the documentary is all about him, but when it came back to specifically him, it just it kept falling on ego, which I think this is the point, perhaps. And again, this just circles back to my point of things I already knew about Steve McQueen, in which I did not need to watch the documentary about Steve McQueen. Um, the documentary then circles back on ego which I believe is the point to an extent. And it's just something that I already knew about the guy. I didn't feel like it was getting any real, any deeper than it was trying to be. And that ultimately comes, that ultimately comes back to the baseline of the whole thing, which is how interested are people in watching. I, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm just sounding dumb right now, but how interested people are in watching a film about a celebrity. So then that's just really what all, all, you know, I mean, that's what a lot of documentaries are. So like, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't totally impressed by it. Um, I thought it had some good things to say and I appreciate it. Um, and I also, as I already said, am indifferent on how it affected my experience with Lemon. I totally disagree. And, and I am not an expert, so I don't know everything about him. And it's probably hard to know everything about him. But I think the one real element of the documentary that was missing was him himself. Like there was not enough of him being able to agreed. He wasn't allowed to explain anything because he died at 50 years old in 1980, nine years after this movie came out from cancer. So agreed. I want to, I want to argue also back that I do not think he was as egotistical as people think he was a side note there. I think the evidence in that is that moment he has with David Piper, when David Piper reads the, the letter that McQueen had sent, to the studio saying, Hey, proceeds to this film should go to David Piper and his family because the guy lost a leg. David Piper was one of the, was one of the drivers lost. The, the context there is McQueen was going to give him the proceeds to the movie uh, at the premiere and quote unquote, he said, You're, you know, Steve's heart was in the right place and he never talked to Steve ever again after his accident. So. And he had never known until the documentary is filmed when they gave him that letter saying, this is what McQueen tried to do. His reaction, I thought that was the his, one moment. His reaction was not as, was not as a emotional as it, I thought it would have been. He wasn't like, yeah, no, no shit. It, it really was. He probably is. I mean, the dude's alive still. This, this documentary is from seven years ago. The dude is 92 years old or something like that. He's still alive. And the dude races his, he still has one of the, again, not a petrol head. Don't even have the freaking car numbers, but the Porsche that he was driving that, that, that model, he has one and he still drives it like every day or week or something like that. They said, very cool. I thought that guy was cool. I liked him. Yes. And to go back, I'm just saying that I think that honestly was the one point where you could argue like, okay, McQueen's head is in the right place or his heart is in the right place rather. And it would be a counter to all the other egotistical things that the film was saying. I have a few other ones, examples. Did, did you notice that the drivers were the first on the credits list. Yes, I did. And McQueen's name is like in no, the middle. No, it's la- right. He does all the, all the actors he does last. Now I okay. don't know. Again, oh, there's a whole bunch of production notes that we're not going to go into. Watch the documentary if you're interested, but he was a producer for this film and he was removed as producer during it because of all the bullshit. And when I say bullshit, John Sturgis and him were signed on to do a Hollywood racing movie. He did not do a Hollywood racing movie. He did a documentary in in the form of a film, of a feature-length film, with a little bit of a plot. But basically, it's the race, and it's about the race, and the result, and all that kind of stuff. is. It's not a drama like you'd think when you go into a racing movie. Every other racing movie, every other racing movie you've seen before this is a is a character-driven drama. It's that's a fact. If it's not, it's a documentary. <laughs> Le Mans is very, what surprised me about it is it is very art house is how I would describe it. So we can get into that a little bit later, but. I also want to add about the egotistical comment, which again, on, yes. the, sur- on the surface, I think is totally founded. It is. But he gave after 
the production took months and the last day of filming he gave all these racers wear these big watches they can look at while they're racing he gave his watch which was probably a very expensive watch at the time several hundred dollars now thousands in real 2023 money to his mechanic and said thank you for keeping me alive the past few months so the guy had a heart he was misunderstood like many of the celebrities are in the past i think in the in in the present they're 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 more misunderstood because they have this thing called social media and they completely fall on their face all the time so and that's their that's a product of the time but i think i think he was misunderstood i mean he sacrificed not only his marriage kind of his hollywood career or relationships with a lot of directors his uh relationship with his with the with the the screenwriter, uh, I'm, his name is eluding me. Uh, Alan Trustman. Yeah, he he ruined that relationship. Actually, he ruined that guy's career probably because whatever. Uh, his finance, he got he made no money from the movie. He lost his produce producing credit, so he lost his points on the movie. So he made literally nothing off this movie. He also sacrificed his future son, his son's future body, because his son is totally fucked up because of racing, um, and his own life. <laughs> For this movie. I mean, he died because of asbestos poisoning cancer, which asbestos, if you don't know, gives mesothelioma, I believe. And my, my actually, my grandmother had that and survived, which is amazing in, in and of itself. But McQueen. Props. Yeah. My, my queen, McQueen died because of that. And it was in the, the uh, insulation liner that you had to, that you were required to wear to prevent you from getting burned in, in, in case of a crash. So the dude gave so much for this movie I thought it was pretty inspiring. Uh, I love, I mean, if we want to rate the documentary, we can get that out of the way and start talking more about the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I just real quick. My complaint isn't of Steve McQueen, the guy. I feel as though that the documentary is just regurgitating things that are already out in the open, which is probably the most case with a lot of documentaries. But my point is it comes down to restating the obvious and i don't think it really paints mcqueen in either a po- more positive or a more negative way um and instead what i found what i appreciated were the notes some of the more nuanced notes that were maybe about the technical aspects such as like how much footage was shot or how long the production took etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah, I, I'm. I don't know. I I feel like the reason the documentary was was made was kind of just because the the documentary filmmakers stumbled upon it, and the, I think what happened was they stumbled upon the footage and just were like, "Oh, we got to do something with this shit." Because all that a lot of the footage in the documentary is unseen, not in the movie. It's all again they a, a million feet of film is probably a very big exaggeration, but there was a lot more than normal films because it was an overlong production and they probably filmed five days a week. So, or maybe six, maybe seven, who knows? We're also, we're also talking, this is new, new era Hollywood or new Hollywood era where there were bigger budgets. Production companies were kind of letting people loose, letting, letting them do their thing. So in that way, I feel like it relates to how much footage would be shot. And if you were to go back and look at history, I think you would see a lot of different productions that were troubled during this time period and also had 
um, well, the troubled productions and like excessive amount of uh, footage shot. I think McQueen was so close. There, there's a analogy of comparing him to not Hercules but Icarus uh, in this documentary, and I think he was so close to the subject matter. He was just so focused. He wanted something. He wanted the exact thing out of this that he had in his head, and he could not articulate it to everyone around him. I think that's the problem. And it is reminiscent of a a recent film, but in a different way, Top Gun Maverick. Imagine if Tom Cruise would have said, fuck you guys, I want a million, well, not a million, I want 30 hours of footage on these, on these, uh, in these F-18s. And I want a movie with just two hours of F-18 footage. Well, no one would want to watch that. It's not that you need all the character drama around it for people to like it. And so McQueen was like, hey, I, I have raced. I know these drivers. I know every little thing they pay attention to when they're driving. Every little thing the pit crew pays attention to when they're fixing the car before they send it back out on the track to literally go hundreds of miles an hour and maybe the guy will die in it. Like, he was so close to that. I just think he couldn't. he couldn't get out of his own way. What should have happened is I think a script, a more focused script should have been planned. And the movie was filmed around the, out of, uh, it was filmed around the, the, the race is 24 hours long. So they have 24 hours of actual footage on a race car, uh, before they even start filming for the movie, they have all this footage on multiple race cars. I don't know if it was on multiple or not. I know there was at least one, if there's more than one, okay. I know there's one, at least, maybe more. I thought there was more. Well, there's more. There's I'm talking about from the actual race. They have there's one camera car during the race. So they start with all this they start with all this footage, right? Why don't you go into this? My my one critique to Steve is go in with two different scripts of if whoever comes out of the the real race, we'll just mirror that and still focus Correct. on all the racing. Yeah, just we'll all right, we know the outcome. We already know the outcome. We know who won. Boom, go back. You don't have to redo the shoots. You again, the, how they mentioned in the documentary, they prevented. Um, they could have prevented if they had a script. They probably could have prevented David Piper's crash that ended up losing him a limb. So there's all this stuff. I just want to give Steve McQueen a little bit of the credit because the movie wouldn't have happened with without him. And we are going to go over long if I don't shut up about the documentary. So let's rate this thing and move on. Unless you have anything else to say about the documentary, Chris. No, sir seeing the movie first and then going to the documentary, then back to the movie, I came into it kind of knowing a little bit what to expect. And my one critique on the documentary is there's gotta be more footage or more. There's gotta be something more about McQueen that they just couldn't, for whatever reason, they didn't want to put it in the movie or the documentary. Sorry. I keep saying that. And that's the one thing missing. I literally, I loved it. I I, I will watch it again. I've watched it twice. I'll watch it again in my life. So I'm going to rate it a nine out of 10. I think it's a must-see for any purported automobile lovers. If you love cars, and if you haven't seen this documentary and movie, you're crazy. Um, I find it interesting, and these are the kind of... like Any kind of backstory like this, pre-millennia, pre-2000, about movie making, I just... I love it. I just love knowing like all the ins and outs. And I mean, it's not... You don't think it's perfect, and I don't either. I just really still enjoy it, and all the footage that they used, and how they... And not have... If they would not... if I would have probably given it a six out of 10 if they didn't have Chad McQueen. I, I think all of his 
scenes were cool. I, I don't know. I, I'll talk too much about it, so I'll let you rate it. No, I I love I love that you love it. Like I love that you're passionate about it. Um, I do agree with you that this to a different magnitude though that this severely needed Mc- more McQueen himself, like a previous interview. They have a few, but they don't have, they have one from the sixties. They don't have any from like around this time, which they have to have. They have, to. they have to have something because I thought a uh, perfect example. Another highlight is, is the excerpts from him basically on his deathbed, which was an interview from, I believe it was 1980, maybe 1979, 80, right yeah. around there. It was at the end of his life. And so he had, he had done an interview and that's woven in between a lot of the scenes in the documentary. And, those are some of the better moments. And they have, yeah, they, I just like the filmmaking aspect of having him talk with like a, just a backdrop of like some road or something in wherever in California or wherever, wherever in the world. I just like, sure. yeah. I, I, sure, I don't know. I, Sorry. I cut you off. No, it's no, no, it's fine, man. I, again, I love that you're passionate about it. You're going to hate my rating. I I'm giving this a two out of five. Um, I, I really it. think this needed, I don't, I don't, I think this needed McQueen and that's where I'll, that's where I'll leave it. I, I think for most people, I'll, I'll give you this point, Ben. I think for most people, they would probably benefit from watching the documentary before seeing the movie. So I would, I would say to everyone listening that you should take Ben's advice and do it the way that I watched it, even though it, I didn't come away with that particular uh, positive no on the documentary i all i know is if you watch the movie first and don't have the documentary you're not going to like the movie unless you are a an absolute car fanatic you'll love it then well and there's another note with that there's another caveat to that too which is the reason why i think i'm indifferent with not having seen you know if i didn't watch the documentary and then watched le mans there's a whole other aspect to the movie where I was not expecting this sort of movie from McQueen in how it's very, very restrained and it's very visually oriented, which is what you would expect with a racing movie. But a lot of the non-racing scenes are also visually oriented. So it's, I'll start, I'll start there and then we'll go into it more as we talk about Limon. Sure. So yeah, the movie, there's not really a plot. It's the the 24 hour race. It starts at, you know, whatever time in the afternoon, it goes through the entire night. It's 24 hours straight. And there's, I believe two racers per car. I forget how many cars, but it, it, it Michael Delaney McQueen's character is this hotshot racer who is kind of a little bit got something going on mentally. And he tries to, you know, he tries to fix it by going after the ex-wife of the guy he killed, which I don't know if that's an, I, I don't think they really tell you about how they came up with that. That must've been a little, Oh, it's, it, you know, they, they, they started filming this in June, I think, and finished in November of 1970. That was probably like October. Like, Oh, we got to get uh 20 minutes of scenes. Let's start filming. Did it in a week. So they were doing it while they were painting the leaves. Yes. They painted the leaves because of the leaf change, which is, crazy just imagine doing that as a, a, a prop guy or set guy or production assistant or whatever it sounds it sounds exactly like something a new hollywood age movie would do 
Hey, just I, some crazy, crazy shite to get it done, baby. <laughs> get it done. Steve crazy McQueen. shite. Steve McQueen, yeah. me, baby. Uh, okay, I mean, so so yeah, go go go. I I'll go back into my point. I was actually just making a minute. Is it cool if I play the if I? Is it cool if I play the jazz yeah. over this? Let's yeah, do it. This is my. This is actually going to my point. So this is good. Lay, lay on some jazz, please. So what I was trying to make as a point a minute ago is you don't have to be a petrol head to like this movie because I was indifferent having seen the documentary before this movie and I was taken aback from my expectations of what I was expecting from a gritty Steve McQueen movie in that Le Mans has a very, as I already mentioned, art house vibe to it. So there's there's something really French new wavy going on. There's a lot of jazz in the background. It's hip. And he McQueen, feels, McQueen, it, McQueen was a huge jazz head, like huge. It's it's just it's very fresh. And what the jazz does to the movie, it, it elevates it. It certainly elevates it. And the visuals on top of that are another thing. So I think if people just kind of think of Steve McQueen as this tough guy, tough guy, cool guy, you know, just had a, had the blue eyes and the stare and nothing else to him. They, they wouldn't expect to see such beautiful visuals in a film regarding racing. So yeah, I'm going to jump right into my final bullet point and just say, I think Steve McQueen is an outdoor after watching this. I mean, twice seeing all the shit he did for this and seeing his output after this, which he was extremely selective from besides uh, towering Inferno and a couple others. He, I just think the dude knew what he wanted and did and did what he wanted. And he had a specific vision that he would not let, he would not let people push him around and he did what he wanted. And this is what you got. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I would have, I agree with you. I would have loved to have seen him make. I am mad. I'm mad at him for dying. I would have loved to have seen him make two or three more movies in this visual style uh, of Le Mans. even though to go off of one of your notes, the film is credited to be directed by Lee H. Katzen, who replaced John Sturges on the production. Your big thing is you think this is Steve McQueen's movie from top to bottom, well, and that I mean, the director he, isn't necessarily supposed to be credited here. Correct. Katzen probably helped direct. They didn't. The two did not get along because Steve was. There's so much stuff going on in Steve's head when he gets replaced from as the producer, and he just takes the actor role. Uh, he, I think he had no salary. Literally, he he lost money from this, so he was already pissed off, and they didn't get a, they didn't get along at first. But I think they eventually got a mutual understanding. So I want to say, I want to give Katzen a little bit of credit. He probably directed a majority of the inside scenes or well, the non racing scenes. He might he, he might have. Well, when I say majority, however they. Whatever the order was, whatever they needed to get done at the end of production, he he probably directed those. We we have no idea what order they went because there's no script. But a lot of this movie is Steve McQueen. The attention to detail on racing can only come from him and his probably um, his any 
advice that the racers, the, the, the other drivers gave to him, they had those, him and those, and that group of guys had such mutual respect for one another. It's that it's insane actually. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I, I, it's really hard to tell what parts are McQueen's and what's aren't because I think the majority are his. I, I would also agree with you there. And I would say that because of McQueen's mentality of being very restrained in how he was as a personality, naturally, it translated to how the film came off where I love, I absolutely love, love, love when auteurs or directors apply the less is more mantra. And that's very much the scenario here. Although there are still points off because of the, what the script lacks, but the less is more mantra is, is one in the same with what McQueen I think is trying to do here. And that's, that goes into one of my points about say more by saying less with McQueen's stare. I mean, the dude could just make, he had gravitas to his, just his look, just how he uses eyes. And I don't need to know. I don't need to even posit any theories on where that comes from, but that's very similar to John Wayne. And I have more notes. I have more. I want to say about John Wayne, but with the, well, John Wayne, the talk low and talk slow. That was his mantra. It's the same thing. I mean, why do you think I like these two guys? It's crazy. There's they have so much in common. Absolutely. I love the less is more. I love that I love that whole that whole thing. It's it's a good mantra. They used a lot of different types of apparently they invented again, I don't know how true it is, but they invented a, a, so many different types of rigs and mounts that are used in they the documentary said, Oh, it's, these are all used in a lot of uh any scenes with car cars or use this shit. I don't know if it's true or not. That's what they said. But did you think the cinematography of like the, ang- the camera angles looking up at the car, we- the, the tires behind and looking at the car behind it and stuff like that. Was that impressive to you? I mean, what do you think of the actual action of, I mean, this is an action movie. It's an action movie. Yeah. The cinematography is impressive. And a point further than that is I f- I felt as though it was the same exact stuff I had seen from Grand Prix. So not to spoil that movie for you, but I think they're very equivalent in their, in their cinematography. Like I think Frankenheimer matches Steve McQueen in, in their technological aspects of capturing the cars. And you, and, and we have to, we have to say when we say that they both, both Frankenheimer, James Garner and everybody else in that movie, Grand Prix, and Steve McQueen in the day of the champion and this movie, they had unprecedented access to the drivers of F1. I mean, an insane amount of just imagine the consultation quote unquote fees on this, on this movie. I mean, just an off point here. Gardner did all his own driving for grand Prix. My dad knew that. My dad knew that he told me that yesterday. I'm like, what? So even though McQueen had it, had a little spat with Gardner, we don't have to get into that, but he had a little spat with Gardner. And even though that happened, there's a lot of similarities between those two movies. And I think in, in very positive ways. So I'm impressed by the cinematography of Grand Prix the same way I'm impressed with the cinematography of McQueen's Le Mans. I think they're very equal. I don't think one is better than the other in that regard. Okay. Um, maybe, maybe McQueen was even inspired if he had ever seen Grand Prix. 
I don't know because the documentary didn't even mention if he had I bet seen you, the movie. I bet you he didn't. I, he probably I, did. He was the dude. They, they they said it multiple times. You wronged him. I mean, to get back in his good graces, good freaking luck. Yeah, exactly. And there was one more point I was going to make between the two. Oh, there is one shot in Le Mans that really impressed me. And that was when there's a moment when we're watching the outside of a car and it goes around the car completely. I don't know if you recall this moment. It would be, it'd be a scene we'd be playing right now, but you can't, no, you can't show it. No, because it's this is a movie. Visual. You are required if, as a listener, if you like what we're saying, or hopefully by bef- way before this point, you liked some stuff and you went and saw the movie. But I think anybody would say this movie, you can't even describe what you see. It is, outstanding and yeah i i I know what you're talking about i mean the car the spectator versus driver and car pov for a lack of a better term if if you were to watch like day of day of thunder days of thunder whatever the tom cruise racing movie or the salone racing movie the f i forget what it's called but so much to call drive i forget i forget but all these other movies i bet you the majority of the shots are of the cars from far away. This is up close and personal the entire time. And it's awesome. It is. That's all I have to say (laughs) about that. I think you're going to love Grand Prix. So this is is cool. It is on, it it will be seen soon. I mean, not it's in days, but it will be seen in this year for sure. Yes. It's, they've got their similarities. They've got their differences. Like you're not going to see, Frankenheimer has a style, but it's not as auteur-ish as McQueen's is, if we're going to call this McQueen's film, which it is. So, other notes I have. I We already went over the script writing. Script writing is lacking. It's a very, very simple story. And I don't even think simple is the adequate word. It's very, it's very non... No, that's not right. It's very... Fractured isn't even the right word. It's just not. It's almost just like a day in the life. It's very, it's slice of lifey kind of. Yeah. I mean, with, with an yeah. ending, with an ending and. Uh, we, we, we can say it. McQueen in the documentary, they said multiple times that he was adamantly against winning the race. And he did not, he did not win the race in the movie. And I would like you to explain what you, what you, what, I mean, obviously don't compare it to Grand Prix. I don't, don't spoil that for me, but compare, I'm not going to, but just, just give us a opinion on like the last 20 minutes of this, of Lamont. Yeah. Maybe not even 20 minutes, just how it was wrapped up. What did you think? I thought it was very fluid. It's, it, it fits like nothing felt like, even though the script was lacking, it didn't feel like anything was jammed into the movie it didn't feel like anybody was forcing anything to happen it felt very natural to the environment so props there to the screenwriting the last 20 minutes i think is pretty good my only negative i don't even want to call it a negative but because of the way it's it's incredibly visual it's it's poetic art house i'm going to keep using that word because it's all those things to me I didn't feel 
any suspense from the actual race. I felt more of like, because it has that documentary feel, I just felt like I was imbibing the atmosphere. And that, and that's okay with me. I think that's like on that, purpose though. I think that is actually on purpose because the entire time, I forget if it's during, yeah, during the movie, during Le Mans the movie, not the documentary. There's this whole idea of when I'm not racing, I'm waiting. I think him not winning the race and just it kind of being like, oh, okay, is because he's just waiting until the next time he races. He doesn't care. He's going to race again. He knows he's going to race again. He didn't die like other people died in race in, in racing at the time. He's going to have another shot. So I don't think it's supposed to be this whole big hurrah, hurrah, like, holy shit, I just won. Like, doesn't matter. It's about the racing. Winning doesn't matter. Yeah, beautifully said. That's that's how I would interpret the ending as well. My favorite bottom line, my favorite part of the whole movie is how McQueen's character can make such incredible split-second decisions when he's in the arena ready to face off, yet in the very vague semblance of a personal life that we see, he hesitates when it comes to all of those choices in his personal relationships. And I think this speaks to what Howard Hawks touches upon in films like Only Angels Have Wings, where he analyzes this masculine avenue of handling one's emotions and how handling of the emotions is not is not it's a matter of not being exposed or not exposing yourself outwardly i i, I think that's a great great callback and you, i just knew you were going to call back to something this episode yes thank you it's that's my favorite part and i think that's what mcqueen does best and you you were complimenting his stare before and i think he has a wonderful stare and gravitas i do think he does it a smidge heavy in this movie which perhaps goes hand in hand with the critique of the lacking script or on the flip side he's he's just he's waiting and he's just he's thinking about racing he's just looking i mean i i don't i didn't notice the stare was you know overly done in this movie yeah i didn't i didn't get that but that's that would be my that would be my flip side. To, I, I I understand your critique, and yes. I I actually I can see a lot of people having the same. They had they would have the same opinion probably probably. And it's like the best way I can describe it is we already know he's cool, and when he's trying to lay it on you more, it's like there's a little bit of a pretentious air when it when you start seeing it too much. Maybe. I, I This is the first McQueen movie I've seen in in, in, in a long a while, time. Not a lot. I mean, I, I saw this movie and then a few others, and that was like twenty two years ago, twenty twenty one. So it's been almost three year, uh, two years. I haven't seen a McQueen movie in a while, so this was a great. It was a great return to his filmography. Maybe I saw the Thomas Crown Affair within the last nine months. I forget. I mean, I've seen so much shit, dude. I see. I watched too much shit. <laughs> but I'm not a rapper. Sea biscuit. As I mentioned, the John Wayne connection. And I, I mentioned that earlier. 
So John Wayne, I'm not going to get into too much of the history, but he he had a similar project that maybe I doubt our any of our listenership knows about this because John Wayne is a very in an American way he's not, but in a our generation our generation is not like super in love with John Wayne because they're idiots, but that's fine. If you did know about this, I am super impressed. So there was a movie he made called The Alamo. And it's the exact same scenario as this. Well, when I say exact, very similar. Yes. He wanted to make this movie. He made, it was released in 1960, 61, somewhere in there. He wanted to make it, start making it like in 1950. It was a 10 year thing. He took out all these personal putting up selling his own stuff for to get the funding for this thing and it, it took a long time and it was a hell of a shoot and they basically made an entire fucking town in Texas. I forget the exact location, but it was in Texas somewhere and it was hell. John Wayne on the other side of it, the movie did not do as well as he wanted it to, which the same as Lamont. And on the other side of it, John Wayne came out worse for the movie, which if anyone knows Wayne's history, he usually does not come out of movie. He does not come out of a movie bad. Like he comes out of a movie and he's more of a star. And this movie didn't have that effect. It didn't make him less of a star. It's just he came out literally with less money. I think he came out. I want to say Wayne. I want to say John Wayne, if I remember correctly, was broke zero dollars in his bank account after the Alamo. So, and he that and that led him to wow. go and do like three or four successful just whatever you know comfort westerns as as some may say just to get that money to get back on track baby another similarity is john wayne actually directed that movie so that's why i think he's oh, cool. an altor as well i mean he they all have altor to me i'm not a film scholar or didn't go to film school like kevin i'm not that cool but you are a gentleman i'm not a rapper <laughs> uh <laughs> um but well, I don't even know what I was saying anymore because that was so damn funny. No, <laughs> you you were you were saying you were not a film scholar because you were going to say what an auteur is to you. It's just having a vision and committing to that vision no matter what, and and producing something, not letting anything get in your way. And I have two questions for you. So one, do you know sure. anybody in today's world, in today's Hollywood, or in today's whatever country music uh movie industry besides Tom Cruise you cannot use his name that is an auteur or somebody that wants to do something so bad that it it either is it almost seems impossible that they even got it done cuz i i, I want to say i mean before you answer the question i want to say most stuff today when people have that it's just low budget it's never a big budget thing cuz it's all just the damn studios making formulaic bullshit but maybe you have a better answer for recent, I do not. Well, all right. How about how about last after nineteen eighty? I mean, I'm not. I don't want to put you on the spot. Or oh, I can't answer this. It, it, it's a, it's a out of left field question. But is there anybody that you'd think? I do not have. I don't think I have any big budget answers. I have. I have maybe two answers for people who just kind of do their own thing and do have egos and. They are auteurs, regardless of what the public okay. thinks. 
And that would be Shane Carruth, who has only done two films to his name, which are Primer, a sci-fi movie from 2004, I believe, and then Upstream Color, which was another sci-fi movie he made from 2014. Um, Both are excellent films, but they're low budget, very grand concept. The concept is huge, but the budget is tiny. And he does a really good job at that. Right now, he has been- I've seen Primer. I saw it from Blockbuster in 2005. My dad was watching it. Do not remember much about, all I know it's about time travel. All I know. It is about time travel, yes. So my point is that Carruth has been rumored to have been making a third movie basically the day, as soon as Upstream Color finished filming in 2014. Um, And the rumor mill had been like, oh, he wants to make this really big epic movie about trading ships, I think, from a certain time period. And that movie... Never has never been made, still hasn't, and I don't think it ever will be because Caruth ended up getting into some domestic abuse disputes with no, his no uh, bueno. girlfriend or fiance or wife. If I if I could um, if I could say that in French, it would be no bueno. So I'm pretty sure he's <laughs> pretty sure he's blacklisted in Hollywood, and I don't think his film's ever going to get made. Which it's unfortunate. Like he sounds like he's a shitty person, but for people who love his movies like I do, it's really unfortunate that we're never going to get it. That's my modern example. I, I could throw out two other names. Um, I think people would consider Tommy Wiseau oh from the, of the Room fame. Hello, Mark. Oh, a guy hello, Mark. <laughs> an auteur and a guy with... You're tearing my heart out. And, and a, supposedly a guy with an I, ego. I can't stop. I can't, the other I can't one, stop myself, guys. Lisa, now. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! And the other one would be Neil Breen. Also an auteur, and I've seen all of his movies. Brag a little bit more, baby. He's another independent guy, low budget. Um, I'm flexing right now because the listeners cannot see me on camera. (laughs) Breen would be a good example for someone with a huge ego. Again, it's a low budget example, but um, and I don't think he's really having any any production issues because he just really kind of he riffs all the time. I don't think anything's really planned. I don't want to beat this like a dead horse, but every. Everyone knows uh, Michael Cimino of Heaven's Gate fame, which Heaven's Gate completely bankrupted the studio that <laughs> was producing the movie and was the defining point, the defining end point to New Hollywood, which I brought up a few times already. So that era basically ended where big budgets were like letting directors and auteurs, they were cutting them loose and letting them f- go wild with immense budgets. Lots of money. That movie, that was the one reason why studios stopped it. The other example of a director or auteur with an ego is a little bit more off the beaten path. The film, he only made one movie, and it is called The Astrologer. And the gentleman's name is Craig Denny. And the story behind this film, real quick, is... He basically convinced a bunch of people to give him money to make a movie that he always wanted to make. And he spent all the money, made the movie, and then got out of Dodge. And never paid the people back or anything. So he successfully blacklisted himself from making movies. And he's never been heard from ever again after he made the movie. But I'm not a director. (laughs) 
I, yes, I yes. beat that dead horse. We're done with that one. Um, that's no, we're not. No, we're not. But that's those are my mentions. I had those in my notes because they were instantly what came to my mind. Uh, just again, the modern ones are, listeners are probably thinking of a good few right now, but um, those are the only ones I really have at the top of my head. And the older ones I think are pretty good examples. I mean, the astrologer is infamous for the people that know it about what Denny, about what Denny did. And then of course, heaven's gate, which blew up a whole studio. Not many movies do that, but that is an infamous one. I need to get to that, but just four hours, baby. Uh, I don't know. I don't have four hours right now for it. I ain't got time for that. Yes. So McQueen comes out of this movie and once the dust settles, I think he is a changed man. I, I, his output is significantly less after 1971. I think he had a four year break in there. I think he was just, I think this movie drained him creatively like for a long, for a long time. And so I have, I have a quote from him that in it's, it's related to Tom Horn, the movie that he uh, released in 80, but yes, a Western he McQueen said, I don't like acting when it's playing house. I believe that I try to extract out of my life the same reality that I am existing in, in it, that I'm working. So, sorry, if I'm working. Sorry, uh, my handwriting is atrocious, apparently. So Tom Horn might have been my first McQueen movie. I I can't remember. It was either that or um, The Great Escape. But Tom Horn is a Western. It is his penultimate swan song. I guess you would say, because it's not his last movie that was released. I don't know the the production order. doesn't matter. It's extremely poignant because McQueen died, and the main character, if you know anything about Tom Horn, also dies in the movie at the end. He's an auteur because of that, this movie, and because of what... I, I want to say that he directed that movie as well, because I, I, you look at the, the director who directed it, I can't even give you the name, because I just don't know it and i've seen the movie two or three times mcqueen he wanted this movie really badly in the 60s when he was at the height of his popularity and afterwards after after eventually being able to do it six seven years later i think he was just it killed him and it it, and he said it in one of his in one of those quotes in the documentary i think he said like i just ran out of gas or something like that and i that's the that's really just the last thought i have on this movie and limon is Steve McQueen's magnum opus, whether or not you love the movie or not, this is this is his vision, and it's it's all McQueen. So a, as you said to me before we started recording, Steve McQueen me baby, and I think I did. I think I think we did enough. So I'm ready to rate if you are, Chris. So let's rate this thing. All right. So Le Mans, I give it a. Sorry. Seven out of ten. Really? Yes. And seven Very out of ten good. with a heart. You you hearted it. I'm going to heart it, yeah. Oh, you, you liked it. So you'd rewatch it, obviously. I would rewatch it. And it's it's I think a film, again, it's a film that doesn't need the documentary, in my opinion. But everyone listening, please let's just watch it because you know, I think Ben's opinion matters here. And you don't need to watch it because it has this auteur's vision attached to it. And I think on a rewatch, it could go up for me. It really, it really would depend. Um, but there are points off because of the script and 
where the less is more is great. I think Steve McQueen may come off a tad pretentious in a few, you know, in a few moments, which I already said. So seven out of 10 in the moments that he's not racing. Yes. Correct. That he's not racing. when it's, when it's not about, yeah, there's a forced little love thing. They kind of threw in there. It was, it just felt like seventies vibe, like, Oh, seventies movies. It's edgy. And there's kind of this weird little, love, yes. Whatever. Yes. And then in my, in my notes, I did that was, have, that was, that was forced. I did have quote unquote, a weepy blonde in the crowd end quote. With regards to the lady. The lady and the love forced, I guess the sort of maybe slightly forced love plot, but we already described the movie as not being forced at all, and I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> Go ahead. P- please please write this thing, Ben. Yeah. Go watch the documentary first, then watch this movie. I'm rating it, well, I rated it a 5 out of 10 average on my first watch. I am re-rating it higher it took me a long time to come to this but i'm rating it an eight awesome so, uh, so you like the docu- you, you like the documentary, seven and a half you like the documentary more than the film i'm if i had to choose i'm gonna watch the film again but i've seen the documentary twice now uh, i'll watch it again <laughs> i'll probably watch it again when i get more into if i like start reading there's so many biographies out there about mcqueen i'll probably watch it again at some point to just remind me of something but no interesting that's interesting to the, me. I, well to me it's not the same i mean documentary rating and film rating are, are totally different i i think it's a good documentary but chris doesn't I mean chris is wrong but i'm not a rapper it's fine yes yes listen to me, <laughs> listen to me people but yeah so seven and a half for the searcher score that's a recommend everybody yes dig a little steve mcqueen Steve McQueen. We went so. we went a lot longer than we thought, but we are covering two things. It's fine. And we are we going to be releasing this on the man's birthday? This is released on what is that date? Is it the 24th? The 24th I think is Steve McQueen's birthday. His 93rd well, birthday this year. You will be listening to this if you listen to the date drops, it will be his birthday. So. Aha, uh-huh, all right. Bonus episode. Screw it. Bonus. Just have it. Just have a Steve McQueen attitude and just get it. Get it done. Stare out onto the horizon every day. Just go out to the beach and just look at the waves crash. Find a blonde in the crowd and stare at her. That's not hard. <laughs> or I mean, don't do that. Sorry. I mean, I'll just use my wife. It's fine. Okay. But uh, yes, this movie where. Can I watch this movie, Chris? Where can I watch it if I was a listener? Your listeners, Le Mans is available on Amazon and Apple TV, and it also has a Blu-ray. And as far as the Steve McQueen documentary, The Man and Le Mans, it's not on Tubi. And just watches a bunch of liars. Yes, you did tell me that. You did tell me that. Just watch is uh, is a liar. And you can rent it in HD on Apple TV and YouTube. So you can you can or, find both of these movies, or you can buy the blue you can buy the Blu-ray version of the doc for like. 
expensive. So it must've had a limited Blu-ray release. So that's why I didn't list it on our little notes. I don't think anybody's going to buy a, a documentary for 40 bucks, but never know. Steve McQueen diehards. Yeah. Well, yeah. Steve McQueen, me baby. Great. Did name. I, did I, was I, was I successful? Did I, you, Steve McQueen you? you Steve McQueen. Yes. All over. Yes. And this was a great, great title. We're going to do a nice little tribute to the man of cool. Yes. Yes. The king of cool. Oh, he was called the king of cool. And I just said the man. So don't listen to me. Le Mans. Le Mans. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right hey so, so send her send her home baby get across that finish line Woo! thanks for joining us here again for our reviews of the man in le mans and also le mans le on the mans. searchers film podcast people don't forget to send your mailbags to us at the searchers podcast at gmail.com tell, tell us how short it is tell us how short or long whatever how short what film. is I'm talking about the film, okay, guys? Don't get some ideas. Oh, the cinematographer's question. Yes. Yes. <laughs> please please like, rate, and subscribe us on Spotify, Apple Podbean, or any of the other apps or services you use to listen to your podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next circuit. Right, Chris? Au revoir. <laughs> see ya. So today... On the Searchers podcast, I decided to interview my father because I knew he had previous experience related to the the two movies we covered today. So uh, don't just jump right into it. Well, before we do that, Dad, you're okay with me uh, recording this, right? Yes, I am. All right, good. Uh, if, if you gave, if you didn't give me your permission, I wouldn't have cared. I would have done it anyway. Um. So before we get into the specifics of your uh, illustrious racing career. Well, what, what's your opinion on Steve McQueen? I mean, do you remember the first movie you watched with him? Uh, do you really have any, hold any opinions on the guy? I've watched a few of his movies. I've never really considered him that great of an actor. Um, I think, uh, Tom Horn was a, a Western he did that I thought was pretty good, but, uh, I never considered most of his stuff, uh, top notch. All right. Well, we can disagree there. That's fine. So do you, that was the first one you watched with him? Do you remember anything else, anything else from the 60s or 70s you, you may have watched when they, it, it just came out? Do you ever see a movie of his in the theater? Not really, no. Okay. People didn't go to the theaters much back in those days. Have, you have some pictures and a couple trophies down in the basement there at your house uh, that kind of insinuate that you uh, raced, raced cars at some point in your life. So... How did you really, how did you get into that? How do you get into, how does one get into racing without having a, a family member already in it or the money to do so? I went into the service in the Navy when I was 18 and I was assigned to the submarine force. Although the submarine force at times was quite exciting. Most of the time that I was at sea for the better part of four years, it was pretty boring. So I spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out, to dream, if you will, about what I would do when I got out of the service. And uh, being locked up on a submarine and my life revolving around the submarine and the deployments, there was a lot of time to think about what I'd rather be doing. And uh, racing was not on my list. But it just so happens that uh, I was working in North Carolina full-time going to 
Duke Business School uh, two nights a week for two and a half years. And I met a coworker at Carolina Power and Light that had raced a little bit uh, when he was younger. And after going to a couple of professional drag races where I saw the uh, professionals uh, race at Rockingham, North Carolina, I sensed that it could be very exciting. The, my coworker and I, he had an old uh, 327 small block engine, and um, I decided to uh, give it a shot with him. And I went out and bought an old dilapidated 1966 Chevy Nova uh, with a posi traction rear end. So it had the makings of a muscle car, but the motor was gone and it was being used as a doghouse for a, on a farm. A little bit run down, huh? It was structurally intact, but it was uh, actually three different colors. Uh, one of it, uh, the whole hood was just primed. And I bought it for next to nothing. And we rebuilt my uh, friend's 327 Chevy small block engine. We didn't have trailers or trucks to haul it around. So we had to drive it to the local tracks down in North Carolina. And there was a bunch of them. There was probably eight or 10 within an hour's drive. What kind of tracks were you going to? Like, were there specific, are there different tracks or do they encompass all different types of racing? These were all quarter-mile drag racing strips. It was strictly drag racing, no circle tracks or anything like that. You have to have a totally different vehicle, and that costs a lot more money, and we just didn't go there. So basically, you Frankenstein monstered a car from the ground up and went and did what you had to do at the track. Uh, that is correct. Uh, we, uh, Like I said, there were six or eight local tracks. Within an hour, hour and a half drive of Raleigh, we would drive the car to the track, take off the tail, you know, take off the tailpipe to uh, reduce the back uh, uh, resistance on the engine to get a little bit more horsepower, and we would race. How many races did you participate in? I think over a two, it took about a year to get the car up and running, purchase everything, get it up and running, and then we raced for about two years before I left North Carolina. And um, I'm estimating 25 to 30 uh, races over that two-year period. How often, if, if at all, did you win? Surprisingly, uh, a lot of people laughed at us because of the uh, paint job that was on the car. We didn't spend $1 on trying to make it look good. So it was three-toned uh, colors uh, and uh, a lot of people laughed, but uh, we'd put our what money we had into the engine. I would say, just recollection, we probably won about 70% of the time that we raced the car. That's a pretty good win average. I'm assuming these races, you only had one other opponent, one other person you're racing against. It's, it's two cars only, correct? That is correct. Side by side, heads up, count three lights down, and then you have to have a very successful uh, coming off the line. You can't foul, and then it's whoever wins at the end. So you're racing side by side with another car, yeah. Did you enjoy, you enjoyed this time in your life before having kids? You were, you were screwing off racing that, just in general, not many people get to do that. Yeah, I would have not got it. As I said earlier, I would have never got into it, except for the fact that I had a colleague who didn't have money, but he had a motor. And I didn't have any experience, but he had done a little bit when he was, uh, you know, in his uh, right out of college. The two of us got together, and it was a uh, 
it was a difficult experience. We had to replace the motor, clutch, uh, everything laying on our backs in uh, North Carolina clay soil. Uh, you know, out in the weather, we didn't. We had toolboxes, but we didn't have any lifts, so everything was done on our back or with a jack. It was an interesting experience. But then when we actually got to the track and started winning, for me, I'd never done it before. So just going 95 or 100 miles an hour, racing somebody next to you, I'd never done, never thought I would ever do. What was the top speed you got to? Uh, it's very hard to remember because it was uh, 40 years ago, but I we were very close. I think I got close to 100 mile per hour in like 10.8 seconds. My partner... Uh, he was a little better than me. He, I think he got up to about 102 miles per hour in like 10.3 seconds, which was, if I remember correctly, really good. You weren't getting up to crazy speeds only because you were in a certain car class, certain engine size, et cetera. This was the cheapest way to race, to go 120 miles an hour, you know, to break 10 seconds, break nine seconds is really tough. Would you have, if you knew what you know now, would you have kept racing as long as possible? No. I thought it was a wonderful experience. It was totally unexpected. It was hot. It was greasy. It was smelly. But it was absolutely exhilarating, uh, particularly since I'd never done it before. I had accomplished everything I wanted with the car that I had. It was expensive and time-consuming to go faster. It would have cost a lot more money and a lot more time that I just didn't have. Uh, one more question. How dangerous was it for this type of racing? Did people get in accidents a lot, crash? I mean, did anyone get injured or die in, in the drag races, or is that kind of for the only for the uh, circuit-type racing? No. The professional people, the top fuelers, funny cars, and the uh, – I forget what they're called – yeah, those people have crashes periodically and get killed. But the, the speeds that we were going at was well within the limits of the cars. There was plenty of space. I never saw an accident any of the drag races I went to. Never saw any close calls. You know, if you're going 100 miles in a quarter mile, that's or the next step up is 120 in a quarter mile. The uh, professional drivers get 180 in a quarter mile, and then the top fuelers, and funny cars were getting, you know, 280 in the quarter mile. It's totally different world. What we did was safe, and it was fun. I'm glad I did it, but uh, moved on to other hobbies that are less expensive. Very good. Thank you very much for being on today. And uh, hopefully this is a good companion piece to the movies that we are going to cover. Steve McQueen, The Man in the Mall, and Le Mans. Thanks for listening to The Searchers Podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd. Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglet underscore Murr, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people.